The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. The title of our Bible study tonight is Prayer Changes Things. And I just want you to think about this. It's, um, well, it's not prayer changes things. It's prayer changes us. It's prayer changes me. That's been something that's been uh, very important, near and dear to my heart. And we're going to be in Mark's gospel, and we're going to be in chapter 1. We're not quite through there yet. We're going to begin in verse 35. But before we do, uh, I want you to think about this, that when you pray, that when you pray, that when you stop and pray, and whether it's for a minute or five minutes or an extended period of time, that it is an act of faith, That's part of the reason why it affects you. That is part of the reason why it transforms and changes us. The other thing I want you to think about is that prayer is worship. In the same way that you were just singing and lifting up your voices and and, and together corporately, that when you pray, it's worship. And then also that prayer is a great source of strength. It's a great source of strength in our lives. Our takeaway tonight is that we are transformed by the Lord's presence when we pray. That you and I, as we stop our lives, and I'm a morning person, I'm certainly not an evening person, but I'm a morning person, but when we be- I begin my day in prayer, that I simply acknowledge God's presence. He's here now. He's always with us, right? God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's always with us. But when I stop and pray, what I'm doing is acknowledging his presence in our lives. And, and that, that his presence has a, cha- a transforming effect on us. I know that some people tell me, well, you know, Danny, um, I prayed for something that was very important to me, and God didn't answer me. Or, Danny, I tried praying, you know, I tried kind of having more of a, a structured uh, time of praying, praying, and nothing really happened. I want you to think about this. There's a verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 26 where Paul writes, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. That when you and I, when we acknowledge that God is praying for you right now, and and, and we we have to, to understand that when he prays, he prays with perfect knowledge, and he prays for his will to be done in our lives. I think sometimes for me, prayer is simply aligning my will with God's will. And so this is what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about Jesus getting away and praying. But you know, I haven't been here for a month. Uh, Wanda and I went to a conference at the end of June, and then we went on a vacation. We were camping with our family up at San Clemente, uh, which, was, uh, which was interesting. I'm not a camper kind of guy. I think you can tell by looking at me. I probably am a little darker from uh, being outside so much, but that's a whole different story. And then, I, apparently, at some point in time during my vacation, I came down with uh, COVID. And so that's where I've been for the last two weeks. So I'm going to try a couple of jokes on you. Okay, are you ready for that? You think, can you take it? Okay. This is an old one. You've probably heard it before, but it's my first opportunity to share it with you. And somebody told me, Danny, I know where you can get gas for $1.50. And I said, really? They said, yeah, Taco Bell. 
I heard a pastor share this story about a, a policeman. He was on a motorcycle. He was uh, watching people's speed limits. And um, as he was driving down the road, he noticed that a lady, while she was driving, dr- driving she was knitting. I, I could see some of you trying not to laugh. But anyway, she was knitting. And so he's concerned. He pulls up alongside of her on his motorcycle. He looks over, and she, he didn't bother her one bit. She just kept knitting along. And, um, and so then... Uh, you know, he turns on his lights and hits the siren just real quick, and sure enough, she didn't look over. And so he gets up a little bit closer to her. Now he's riding parallel with her, and he looks over, and he's, you know, he's like, roll down the window. And so she rolls down the window, and she looks over at him, and he says, pull over. And she just keeps driving and knitting, and he goes, pull over. And she turns over to him, she goes, no, it's a cardigan. She was, she was knitting a sweater. Okay. Okay, I'll leave it at that. I've been gone for a little while. Maybe uh, some of you will be hoping that I'll be gone for a little while longer. You know, tonight, as we talk about being transformed by the Lord's presence as we pray, I I really want you, if you leave here tonight, I really want you to know that we all pray. We might not pray like the person down the pew or we might not pray like the person who's been walking with the Lord a certain amount of time, but we all pray. There are those times that maybe it's not verbalized, but we, we turn to the Lord and, and we, you know, we just, we just, our hearts go out to him. And, and it's a form of communication. And I, I just want tonight to be a time, especially as we look at Jesus' prayer life, I just want it to be a time to encourage you to pray, to kind of go in that direction, to kind of lean into it a little bit. Um, also, um, there's, a, there's a chance that my granddaughter, Lakai uh, Johnson in Phoenix, Arizona, and her family uh, are watching tonight, so I want to say hi. Um, they, um, she had some Bible questions, and so I, I told her that I might address some of them tonight from the Bible study. So let's go ahead and get going. I want you to know that tonight, as we look at this passage, that that Mark is giving us a glimpse into Jesus' daily habit, his rhythm of life. Early in the morning, Jesus gets up, and he's obviously in a home there in Capernaum, and the Sabbath has just taken place, and there's been tremendous ministry. His ministry is beginning to take off. He has taught or explained the Old Testament scriptures in a way the people had never heard before. Why they said he taught with authority and that he taught as one who had power. You'll remember that during the course of this service, a man manifested a demon and Jesus simply spoke with that same power and that same authority and he delivered the man. As church came to an end that Sabbath, he would go to Peter's home where he would hear that Peter's mother-in-law was ill with a fever. And we looked, it's been a couple of weeks, but we looked at how he drew near to her as an individual and how he touched her and that the fever immediately departed. As a matter of fact, so much so, we're told that she got up and began to serve. And one of the things that continues to resonate in my heart and mind is that Jesus dealt with the individual. He dealt with the person. He met them where they are at, where they're at. And the reason that's important for you to know is because he wants to deal with you as an individual. 
I'm not saying that it's wrong, but sometimes within the church community, we see the masses, we see the the nameless faces, the many needs. But Jesus, when he ministered, he ministered to the individual, and we see that as he deals with Peter's mother-in-law. And then as the sun began to set, and it was the conclusion of the Sabbath, we're told that the whole community, the whole village, the whole, the entire population of Capernaum came to Peter's door and Jesus ministered to them in and through the night. And he ministered to each person. I like to think there in the doorway of the home probably is a little more than that. But people crowd and they bring people that are sick. They bring people who are oppressed by demonic spirits and they experience healing and deliverance. Listen to me. They experience healing and deliverance from Jesus. And so we pick up this evening where Jesus, as we will see here in a couple of minutes, breaks away early in the morning. And listen, he prays. Now, this wouldn't have been an oddity with a Jewish man. You remember the story of Daniel in the Old Testament. When his enemies knew that they would would find him praying three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening, and they would bring accusation against him. Matter of fact, the book of Acts tells us that one of the early miracles in the church was there in Jerusalem as Peter and John went at 3 p.m. in the afternoon when the evening sacrifice was being offered, and as they went, they met a man at the gate called Beautiful. Remember, you know the story. Silver and, God ha- Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. While they were on their way to prayer. You remember, too, that in Joppa, Peter was on Simon the Tanner's home. Uh, well, he was literally on top of the roof. And as he was praying at new time, God revealed to him through a vision that the Gentiles were no longer to be excluded, but were to be brought into the kingdom. Jesus, as a Jewish man, would have prayed. But he finds it important this morning, after a day that was filled with ministry, to get up early in the morning. Probably it's called the fourth watch. Between 3 and 6 in the morning, he gets up early, he leaves the home, and as you will see, he goes to find a place to be alone. So much so was his habit of praying known that when they were in Jerusalem, and Judas had, had, had chosen to betray him to his enemies, that he knew that Jesus would be found in Gethsemane. That Jesus would be found in a garden, and he knew, listen, he knew that he would be praying. I want to press pause right here. Do you know that Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father praying for you? The Scriptures tell us that he makes intercession. It's the role of a high priest. But whoever you are, whatever's going on, again, those of you who are in your living rooms right now, Jesus is praying with full and complete knowledge about your circumstances and about your life. He's praying for you now. He's praying for those things that you would easily communicate. He's also praying for those things that are private. One of the questions my granddaughter had is, Grandpa, if he is God, then why is he praying? Why does he need to pray? I think that's a good question. I actually am thrilled that she's reading her Bible and has these questions. One of the things I think it's important to remember is that Jesus' relationship with the Father was eternal. Immediately, that's beyond our comprehension. 
that from eternity past until he became a man and into eternity future, that his relationship with, the God, with God, the Father, was, was never severed, was never broken, was never affected in any way. And I, f- I feel like in his humanity, we see that relationship spill over, and it's, it's seen, or its rea- reality is known in his, as he prays. It's important for you to know that a part of your relationship with Jesus is that what you will communicate with him, is that you will talk with him. And although I'm no expert on prayer, I'll be the first to admit that. Listen, it's important that you're honest with him. It's important that you're completely and totally honest with him. That is, Jesus' relationship with the Father is eternal. That is, for all time and eternity, Jesus the Father and the Spirit have experienced perfect communion, perfect uninterrupted communion, perfect love, perfect communication, and perfect fellowship. His prayer life was an expression of this reality. The Gospels give us insight into the Son's willingness to yield to God's will. So then as Jesus lives his life, and we have, again, I use the word glimpse, if we have these little snapshots of his, of his prayer life, we see that he in his humanity yields to the Father's will. And, and I would submit to you tonight that if you and I are to experience freedom on any level, it's when we submit or yield to God's will. When we experience any kind of liberation from any kind of spiritual oppression, it's as we yield to the, God, to the Father's will. In John 5, 30, again, this is an expression of Jesus' humanity. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, through prayer, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Prayer was Jesus' way to know the Father's will, and it's no different for you and I. We don't come into God's presence demanding and requiring. We come into God's presence as children requesting, asking God, what do you want in this situation? What do you want in my life? Again, Jesus says, yet not, not what I will, not what I want, but what you will. I want you to hear in these words, trust, his trust in the Father, because that is the lesson that you and I are learning, to trust the Father in all situations. I also want you to see perfect love in his obedience and to see love in your obedience. As you obey, you love. Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans 12, 12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. This is how you and I, by faith, by faith experience God's presence. By faith, we worship God. And by faith, we are strengthened. We are encouraged. We are blessed. As we do these things over time, we change. And, and, and you may come to God with a need. That's good. He encourages that. You, you may come to God 
thanking him for a blessing, for a situation that's worked out. You may come to God to worship him in prayer. All of these things work to changing us, to changing our hearts and our minds. As we do these things over time, we are changed, we're transformed. Prayer may move mountains, but it also moves us. I'll take a minute to read here from uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 30, beginning in verse 35, where we read, And rising very early in the morning, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon, verse 36, and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns or the next villages, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went through all of Galilee, again a region, a large area, preaching in their synagogues and casting out their demons. So then after, a night, after an e- late night of, of ministry, the disciples and Jesus, probably in Peter's home, they take rest. And in the early morning hours, as we've already noticed, Jesus gets up and he leaves. It, it says that he goes to find a, a desolate place. I want you to think a deserted place. I want you to think that he intentionally moves away from people for this morning. Now, it's interesting because when we look at Gethsemane, he brings his disciples with him. But after a day, a full day, I think we would all agree, he finds himself needing to get away. Again, in his humanity, in his love for the Father, he wants to be alone. The idea here is, again, wilderness, unpopulated area. He's pursuing solitude with the Father. The disciples wake up and they find that he's gone. And their biggest need is to find him. The disciples conclude that because the crowds are now gathering, the day is beginning and people are moving around, and the crowds are returning. They're returning with their sick. They're returning with those who are needy. And so the the disciples think what you and I would think. We need to have Jesus here because Jesus is the one who's going to minister to them. Jesus is the one who's going to save them. Jesus is the one who's going to deliver them from the power of Satan. Jesus is the one who's going to preach to them and teach to them. We need to find Jesus. Two things here. We have Jesus in this deserted place, and obviously he he told no one because it says that they're searching for him, they're looking for him. But we have Jesus at peace, and we have Peter stressed out. I think we'll see that as we look at this a little bit more. Peter is stressed, needing to find him. Peter sees the crowd. He sees the needs. Listen, and he knows he himself cannot meet those needs. He looks around at the other disciples, uh, the fishermen, and he knows we cannot meet their needs. And so then he's driven by the crowds, by the numbers, by the needs that are represented and probably growing. Listen, and he says we need to bring Jesus here. We need to introduce him into this situation. I want you to see the needs of the crowds as an external force. Not good, not bad, just a requirement to do something. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's life. Uh, While we were camping 
I, I don't go into the water much. I, you know, I mean, the water is beautiful to look at. If you're a beach person, God bless you. I, I go down, I have my umbrella, I'll take a snooze. I can snooze anywhere. I'm not, I'm not snooze, I can sleep anywhere. And so, you know, I set up camp here and, you know, my family's all around and they're going in and out of the water and they're eating and I'm eating and snoozing. And one of the things I noticed is that when the kids that were playing in the water, who I have an eye on, when they start in front of me after a period of time, I look and they're down the beach. And so I get up and I go down and go, hey, we need to go back because the current is moving them down the beach. As a matter of fact, I had the opportunity, it's a great privilege, to baptize three of my grandkids while we were at the beach and my son-in-law. Yeah, right? Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. It was a huge blessing. I wasn't expecting. I was expecting to do one, maybe two, and anyways. And one of the things, the reason I bring that up is one of the things we did is, is as I was baptizing, I dropped something, and in a minute, the current had taken it down. And the reason I bring that up is because you were standing in a current. You know, while my grandkids were playing, they had no idea that they were being taken down the beach. They weren't in danger of being pulled out from the beach, but they certainly were moving down the beach. And you need to know that this evening that there are currents that are pulling against you. And there may be good things, good relationships, good, good, good things that are moving you down the current, the current of life that is pressuring you to go down. We see Peter moved by occurrence of needs. Listen. But Jesus, in the Father's presence, is experiencing peace. And he's not being moved. Do you feel that circumstances of life are moving you down the beach. I see some of you nodding your heads, yes. My friends, may I suggest to you, not that you pray for hours and hours, but that when you sense I'm being pulled down, that you will stop and say, Father, I need to find my peace in you. That's what Jesus did. The balance between life's pressures and God's peace comes from prayer. And if you are aware, if, you're self, if you have self-knowledge, you understand that the pressures of life are pushing against you, don't feel like there's anything wrong with you. That is all of our experience. You are blessed because you recognize it, because you have that understanding. But I also want you to know that you have an anchor in Christ that will not let you be moved. There's a quote, there's a quote, uh, it says, the danger of our day, this is for you and I, the danger of our day is the pace of our lifestyles out, outrun, is outrunning our souls. The danger of, of the day is the pace of our lifestyles outruns our souls. So that even though you and I can keep up, even though you and I can, can, can manage life, that the, greatest, that the greatest challenge is what it does to our inner life or to our souls. In verse 37, Peter's words are in the form of a mild rebuke where he says, everyone is looking for you. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. In a sense, he's saying this, Jesus, these people have serious needs. 
You need to get back to town. As a matter of fact, he might have thought, you need to get back to my community. You need to get back to my town. You need to get back to my friends and to my neighbors. There's ownership here. This crowd isn't unknown to Peter and Andrew. This is his community. I want you to listen to the inference. Jesus, you need to do something, and you need to do something now. Or, Jesus, you aren't doing what I think you should be doing. And I think this is where you and I are at sometimes. Jesus, I need you to do this. And and there's nothing wrong with the request. There's nothing wrong with the expectation. As long as we temper it with, according to your will. According to your will. Now, I know that some people might, might bristle at that a little bit, but listen to what I'm saying that I sense this need, I see this need, and I know that this need is in line with your will, but I'm going to pray according to your will, waiting for your timing and waiting for your way of meeting the need. And that, listen, that shapes our character and our nature to become more like Christ. The story illustrates how many people feel sometimes. Jesus, Jesus, do you understand, do you understand what's happening here? Uh, Martha comes to mind in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. Uh, Jesus had come to her house. The idea is that he had come on a regular basis, that when he was in Jerusalem, that he would stay in her home. The terminology in the story suggests that this is her home. She's the matron of the home. Even though her brother and sister live there, this home belongs to her. And within the community, how her guests were treated would be reflected by the hospitality that she would show. Talk about the pressures of life, of a culture. And in Luke chapter 10, again, verse 40, it says that Martha was distracted with much serving. The terminology describes being pulled in two different directions at the same time. And she went up to him, that is Jesus, and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Lord, do you not care? Tell her then to help me. That's it, isn't it? That sometimes when you and I are praying, the thought in our mind, even though we would never communicate it or verbalize it, is, Lord, don't you care? The answer is, yes, he cares. But, Lord, do you not care? Lord, do you not care that this hurts? Lord, do you not care that I'm afraid? Lord, do you not care of what I might potentially lose? Jesus says, yes, I care. But Mary was sitting at his feet, has chosen the first thing. In the middle of chaos, we wonder if God cares. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38, while Jesus was sleeping in the back of the fishing boat, we're told, but he was, he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, listen to these words, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're going down? Boy, this describes life. That there are those times when we're in the hospital waiting room. That there are those times, there are those times when we're waiting for somebody to be healed. 
and we think, Lord, do you not care? And the answer is he certainly does care. He certainly does. Another quote here is, life pressures you. I think we've established that. But prayer brings peace. Life pressures you, but prayer brings peace. You know, from time to time, I do counseling uh, here at the church and and in previous positions that I've had in different churches. And, you know, people will come in, and, and one of the first things I'll tell them is, I, you know, I, I go, I usually tell them something like, you know, I, I, I really just want to uh, tell you how brave you are that you'll come down to the church and talk to somebody that you don't know about your challenges or the problems that you're experiencing. I just want to affirm that, 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 that you would take the time to come here, that you would take the time to come and share with somebody you don't know about what's going on in your life. I want to affirm that. And, and then as they begin to pour out their hearts, there's a transformation that begins to take place. As they're no longer carrying the burden by themselves, but in the sharing, in the communicating, they feel that burden beginning to release. How much more, my friends, tonight, how much more, my fr- our friends joining us online, will the burdens of our lives begin to dissipate as we pray to God? How much more? Life, pre- life pres- pressures you, but prayer brings peace. In Philippians 4, chapter, verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 6, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, all human comprehension, the peace of God, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. My friends, we live in a day. We live at a time. I don't know what it's like for you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what that primary thing like Martha had before her. I don't know what that is for you. That didn't make her bad. That didn't make her less spiritual. That wasn't a sin. But but Jesus gently tells her, come and be with me. I don't know what that thing is for you, but it will, listen, it will slowly Move from the centrality in your life as peace arises. He uses interesting terminology. Obviously, he was under house arrest when he wrote the book of Philippians. But he says of this peace that it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know that you can leave here tonight, go home, and experience the peace of God regardless of the circumstances that are going on in your life as you pray to God and give him your needs? So somebody might ask, well, what was Jesus praying about? That's a good question. We don't know. But I think in verse 38, we might have some some form of a hint where he says, let us go to the next towns. Let us us leave here where the crowds, let us leave here where the needs are. Let us gather our belongings and go down this road and go to the next towns, go to the next villages, go to the next cities, go to the next farms. Let us leave here and go to the next Uh, Towns that I may preach or proclaim the gospel 
also. And then he says these words, for that is why I came. That is the intent. That is my purpose for being here. Jesus' plan was to leave Capernaum and preach the gospel throughout the region of Galilee. I, I, I don't know about you, but I see the crowds and like Peter and I'm saying, this makes sense. They've like all come together. They have expectations. They've heard the testimonies. They've had friends tell them. I mean, they've, they've seen people come back healed. I mean, this is a ripe opportunity. It, it reminds me sometimes of talking to people and maybe they've spent a little more than they had, were supposed to and they go, well, you know, I pulled up to the mall and there was a parking spot right in front of my favorite store. How could this not be the will of God? Oh, and not only that, there was a sale. Everything within me did not tell them there's always a sale. There's always a sale. This is like the after the 4th of July sale and, and you know, almost Labor Day sale. I, I, I don't think you, need, you really need to know this, but I, I spend a lot of, not a lot of time when I shop, I go to Kohl's because it's always a sale. And then they give me Kohl's cash. It doesn't work anyplace else. But they give me Kohl's cash, and I leave there feeling like, well, then it says you saved this much money. But my friends, what if when we pray and we see that wonderful opportunity, but like Jesus with peace, he says, go someplace else. It's interesting that when Philip was experiencing a revival in Samaria, he's preaching the gospel to the Samaritans, and there's this wonderful expression of grace among the Samaritans, and God takes him down to a lonely road down by Gaza where he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. My friends, tonight, maybe some of you are saying, but Danny, there's a great opportunity here, and I'm not in any way saying don't take advantage of it. My question to you is, have you prayed? Have you taken the time to pray? I think that sometimes for some of us, this doesn't happen very often, but there's an opportunity, there's an opportunity, there's an opportunity, there's an opportunity, and all these wonderful opportunities, all these wonderful choices, and we lose the peace that comes to us as we pray. Prayer allowed Jesus to remain on mission. Peter saw opportunity, but Jesus saw distraction. That's kind of hard for me to say. Peter saw opportunity, and Jesus saw distraction. And I want to tell you that the way you know the difference is by spending time alone with the Lord. And he will lead you, and he will guide you. I, I think about, you know, convenient circumstances in the book of Jonah we know that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We know that he was a, a real prophet to the northern kingdom. We have an account where he delivered a word of the Lord, and it was received with great, with great enthusiasm in the northern kingdom regarding an enemy that God would deliver them from. But listen, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he told him to go to Nineveh. He was a real prophet. He really heard from God. And God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And in response to God's word, this is just in the opening verses, Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, it says he went down to Joppa, which is the opposite direction, my friends, from Nineveh. It says that he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. There was a ship ready to go. There was an opportunity that was convenient. It was like it put in his hip pocket, ready to go. Listen to the rest of the verse. So he paid the fare went down into it, that is down into the depths of the ship, to go with them to Tarshish, listen, 
away from the presence of the Lord. And I'm going to say something that's really hard. Sometimes you will, you will meet somebody and the relationship represents an opportunity. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's great. My question to you is, have you prayed about the relationship? Have you prayed? The ship was ready to go to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. There's another interesting verse in the New Testament in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, where God surprisingly said no to the gospel proclamation. Let me say that again, so make sure you hear me. God said no to gospel proclamation. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says, And they went through the region of, of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. God had other plans. You know, sometimes when the current of life is, is pushing us down the road, prayer will be, prayer will be that looking at the beach and saying, I'm moving off course. Prayer would be the way the Apostle Paul would know that we're not to go into these communities in the same way that Jesus would say no to Capernaum and yes to the, yes to the balance of the region of Galilee. Hang with me. Prayer guides you through life's uncertainties. Prayer will guide you through life's uncertainties. So some of you are saying, okay, Danny, the praying part I get. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to try. This week we're going to try and pray again. And we understand that when we pray, we're in God's presence. And we understand that when we're in God's presence, we are, we are there by faith. We understand that when we're there, we're worshiping. We understand that when we're there, we receive strength. We understand that we're in God's presence. We, our hearts are changed and transformed. Danny, it might be very slow. It might be hard to see. It might be even hard to understand. But when we pray, we are changed. I get it. But how do I hear God? How do I hear God? Personally, I see prayer as a process, a long journey, a long process. That's not what some of you want to hear. I, I see prayer that, that over time, a longstanding request simply falls by the wayside. This is something that I pray for, and I pray for, and I pray for, and I pray for, and the intensity and the desire for that, that outcome begins to subside. Until, so much so that by the time, by some time, I just, I let it go. Okay, Lord. I'm going to stop praying for that. And I don't feel guilty about it. And if you, anything you need to know about me is I feel guilty about everything. Other times my prayer morphs. It changes. It transforms. The content, the words begin to change as God changes my heart. Some requests will be lifelong. I will, for the balance of my life, pray for my wife, pray for my children and their spouses, and pray for my grandkids. I will, for the balance of my life, pray for family members. I will, for the balance of a life, pray for the salvation of individuals. I have, no, I have absolutely no question in my mind that I will pray for certain people for the rest of my life. That will never stop. And many prayers are answered. One of the, some of the people that I really admire are the ones who write everything down. They write their prayer requests down. You know, they have journals, and they write them down, and they have dates, and they highlight, and they have special color. I, I got everything up here. Under these is shiny bald head. Everything is right here. My prayer list is right here. Listen. But they write them down, and I have not met one person 
who, who documents their prayer requests, who told me that as they go back year after year, they see that prayer has been answered one after one after another after another. Don't come and ask me about that. That's not been my experience. Again, prayer is an act of faith, a form of worship, a source of strength. Joe Rigney said, God is not a puzzle to be solved, but a person to be sought. Almost done. If you get into the Greek language, one of the words for prayer, or one of the, some of the words for prayer, prayer are to, are to turn toward. Are to turn toward. So what happens when we pray is that we're face to face with God. I, I know it's by faith, but you are face to face with the God of the universe. I also want you to think too that the prayer allows us to see the Lord. When we pray, we see his character and his nature. We find out, not only saying that God is good, but we find experientially that God is good. Let me read to you from the book of Job, chapter 42, verse 5, where Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. What I believe is through the course of his trial, through the course of this interaction with his friends, he came to the realization of who God is, knowing God's true character and God's goodness. Verse 39, it says, and he went through, Jesus went through all of Galilee, that is every part of the region, preaching in their synagogues, that is where they worship, and casting out demons, preaching or proclaiming God's words and delivering from the power of of evil. So now we're in Gethsemane. I want you to close your eyes and think about Gethsemane. It's the middle of the night. Jesus has spent the Passover with his disciples. He told them that he longed to spend this particular Passover with them within the walls of the city in an upper room. The elements go forth. He is the host. He steps back. He pulls off of his cloak. He wraps himself with a towel, and he takes a bowl of water. And disciple by disciple, he begins to wash their feet. Listen. They go through the entire evening there in the middle of the night. They leave. They leave for Gethsemane, not too far outside the city. It was likely a grove of olive trees that had a wall around it with a gate. Jesus knew this sanctuary under gnarled branches well. With Passover observance behind him, he leads, listen, he leads his friends. He leads his friends. Earlier we, in, in chapter 1 of Mark, we see him by himself, but now he draws his friends to be close. He leads them to the place where a spiritual battle will be won. This, my friends, is profound. What we're about to consider tonight is one of the most profound truths about Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you don't know this part of Jesus, if you don't hear him crying out in the Garden of Gethsemane, then your view of Jesus is inaccurate. Garrett Scott Dawson said of Jesus, he embraced the cup of wrath, that is judgment, that he did not deserve. He chose to pass through death and Hades, so his people, so that we might pass over them safely. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. 
And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And so as they come into the garden there at the entrance, he tells a portion of the disciples, you sit here and wait. Remember, Judas and the guards, uh, those soldiers would be coming through that gate. You sit here and you wait while I go over there and pray. And then, and then taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, he began to be sorrowful. There's a transition. There's a change in his demeanor. It says that he began to be sorrowful or sad and troubled and worried. He experienced Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane began, began to experience dread. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Hear that. Even to death, remain here and watch or stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell down on his face and prayed, saying, my father, this is his prayer, my father, if it, is, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Do you see the change there? Let this cup, let this cup of judgment that I'm about to experience and your wrath being poured out upon me might it pass, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? He knew that this evening Peter himself would experience a trial as he would, be, as he would deny Christ three times. And he tells Peter, watch and pray. Stay awake and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then Jesus says something that is all too true to us. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went and prayed. He goes deep into the garden. and He says, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went and prayed for the third time saying the very same words again. And he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. My betrayer is at hand. Earlier, he was by himself. In this moment, he needed his disciples with him. My friends, there are times when you pray by yourself, but there are times that you need others to pray with you. There are times when you are sorrowful. There are times when you are in emotional distress like Christ, and God has given you the body of Jesus Christ to pray with you and to pray for you. Do you hear me tonight? In the garden, in your garden, he is with you, but you need others to come alongside of you and pray with you. Near the Kidron Valley on the Mount of Olives, Jesus understands that he will bear the sins of humanity, that he will drink the cup of God's wrath, that is his judgment, and he asked God, might this cup be taken away? He, he expresses his, his deepest desire, and yet he yields, through prayer, he yields to the Father's will. 
Jesus is shaken, overwhelmed, in agony, and he prays. Jesus is alone, and he prays. Jesus is with his disciples, and he prays. The cross is before him, and he prays. My friends, as you leave here tonight, I certainly want you to remember that we are transformed by the Lord's presence when we pray. By way of application, I'll leave with you an acronym. You probably know this. The acronym is ACTS, A-C-T-S, for your time of prayer this week, if you would employ it. A stands for adoration, that as we begin our time of prayer, of praising God, we adore him, we praise him, we lift him up, we worship him. The C stands for confession, and this is very important. I think specifically when it comes to spiritual oppression, that we ask God to search our heart, and anything that he shows us, we confess that sin, and we receive the forgiveness that God offers in Christ Jesus. The third is thanksgiving, to look around in our lives and to, to, to show gratitude and praise to God, thanking him for what he's done. And then lastly, supplication. We let our requests be known to God. Would you join me as we pray? So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time tonight. We close by having considered Jesus, you praying, the pressures of life, finding peace in spite of the currents of our simple lives and knowing that you are with us, that the Spirit makes intercession, that Jesus, you make intercession, that there are times that we pray alone, but there are times that we pray with our friends, that there is a time to adore you and worship and praise to you. There's a time to confess our sins, for you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins for their time to thank you for the many blessings that you give us. And there's also a time to lift up our needs before you, knowing that you hear us and care. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.